one that we did it was we had to have done one at least this summer though did we oh do yeah one in June? yeah we did a couple in the summer maybe june you yeah. were super busy though summer's a busy time yeah. you, you had your son playing baseball and you had a lot of world series and tournaments and stuff that you needed to go to yep but one of the beautiful things about lightning looks radio is that we are our own bosses we are not on a schedule nobody keeps us to a schedule except ourselves and we always like to tell our audience that you can count on this coming in a few weeks but you know what you get it when you get it. Yeah, and I love when you remind me of that, too, because I start to feel guilty that we haven't done it for some, and then you remind me, like, we're our own bosses. I'm like, Dude. yeah, that's right. We're not getting paid for this shit. Yeah, Blue Water Bay has not <laughs> stepped up. Or Blue Chair Bay. <laughs> I can't even get their name right. No wonder they won't sponsor us. Blue Chair Bay. I know I've been on the horn with Mr. Chesney, and I'm like, look, dude. I know you think you're in it with your country music or whatever, but there's a dozens of potential... <laughs> Blue Chair Bay drinkers that are just waiting in the wings because they are fans of Lightning Licks Radio, which is what you're listening to right now. Episode 17. My name is Dion. I am a member of Lightning Licks Vinyl Preservation Society, a collective of vinyl enthusiasts whose mission is to celebrate and examine our often unhealthy, always obsessive, more often than not creepily intimate relationship that we share with the physical media that is vinyl records, and we are consistent at least on our mission statement, not so much in the time between episodes, but who cares? I'm here with Jay. I was so waiting for that mission statement. That is awesome. Yeah, that's just going to kick us off. Yeah, that's some fucking beat poetry right there. Glad to be back. And I'm Jay, also of Lightning Licks. You listen to the podcast, you know who I am. Yeah, yeah. And And if this is your first time, I'm still Jay. Yeah, that's why I do it, because I'm I'm figuring there's at least like a handful of new listeners every episode, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to, little by little, we're going to build this audience up, and then we're going to be powerful enough of a demographic to sell a few little shots of Blue Chair Bay. (laughs) I was very sad, I have to say. I've been hyping Blue Chair Bay for the last couple episodes, and I have to admit that I was kind of sad when I did some research and found out that I was a Kenny Chesney. Chesney, <laughs> Kenny Chesney being the country equivalent to Jimmy Buffett, which is fine. I like Jimmy yeah. Buffett. I'm not judging. They both right. have their own thing going, but I felt like you toes and sand, bud. Toes, toes and toes and sand. Yeah, but I still do love it. We did our shots earlier. Yeah, I still got one left. Did I, you do the I other one? Did it? Yeah, I did it without right. you. I'm gonna crack this here. I did it with right <laughs> with now. Let's see if we can. So Kenny Ch- broke the seal. This must see you, Kenny Chesney. And I did realize, I didn't want to break your heart with it, I didn't want to have a big conversation about it, but in my research, and while I was putting together the last What Are You Listening To episode, or supplementary episodes, you will actually hear the voice of Kenny Chesney saying something like, Thanks like I love you, Blue Chair Bay, or some shit like that, like at the end of the episode. You didn't even catch it. I did not, I listened to those two, and I did not even catch it. And I went through it, I did the whole tirade too, even when I went to the party store. (laughs) I bought it, and I said to the kid, like, you know what? I hate Kenny Chesney, but I like his blue chair bait alcohol. And then I went through the thing about how I don't like Sammy Hagar's music, but I also love Mas Tequila, too. So yeah. it, and he didn't give a shit at all. 
Right. And I, I apologize. I'm sorry if you're a big fan of modern country. He goes, oh, I'm not. I'm like, okay, good. But yeah, he still didn't. He us. still didn't care though. He's so one of us. God love him. Speaking of which, we do talk about music on this podcast, and we there's do do that. obviously a theme involved in every one. Now, there is. And what is that theme, Dan? This, this theme is album openers, dude. Yeah. Side A, track one, or side one, track one, whatever you want to call it. It's a very high fidelity theme. Yeah, we each have a list. Uh, obviously, we're going to stay away from things that are super obvious. I want a little more obvious than you. You really did dig deep. You touched all your records for this. I appreciate yeah. the effort. There was a lot that I really wanted to use and, and did not. I mean, obviously, you can use things like yeah. whatever Led Zeppelin 4 and Break On Through by The Doors or right. or uh, The Clash. All, all those things, too. But I, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go with ones that I really love. Right. Like the ones that really hit me, and that's what that this, hit me hard. All, I say it every episode. It's all about discovery. And with your list in particular, that we'll get into eventually. I really did discover a lot because I knew the bands. Sometimes I knew like stuff from the bands, but never had heard that track or that album that that track is on. And it's just really cool, man. Now I'm all wrapped up into it all over again. It's great shit. Yeah, I'm excited to share the wealth, spread the word. Yeah. Yeah. Spread the gospel of rock Ooh, and roll. I like that. Lightning looks the gospel. Spread the gospel of rock and roll. Yeah, I went a little rocky. It's a little bit rock and roll. There's no. Yeah, you were like, it's heavy on the rock. rock. It's heavy on the rock, yeah. As right. I normally do. But. And I'm a little bit more all over the place, but stuff that's a little bit more uh, well known, I would say, I think. And I tried to. Like, in the end, I just really went with the shit that just kind of moved me. I'm like, all right, this is the stuff that. And a lot of the time, like, the ones I picked, too, like, they're ones like when I actually put the needle on the record that I actually listened to that song four to five times before I let it go to the next track. Oh, no. So yeah. yeah, so these are like opening tracks that not only are they super effective, yeah. but they're also like really fucking mind-blowingly great too. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, and the albums themselves that they find yeah. them, I mean they're, yeah. they're really great too. Yeah, and yeah. it's part of it. So without much further uh, rigmarole, adieu, adieu. You want to get into it, bud? Sure. Here we Here go. We Let's go. Do, it. Right. do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. This next one is the first song on our new album. Forever. off with a killer grab attention so for this one i'm thinking i'm thinking when is this gonna stop when's what gonna stop because you can't you won't and you don't stop because you can't you won't and you don't stop oh when you can't you won't and you don't stop So my first one, it's a band called Squirrel Bait, Mm -hmm. and they're out of um, Louisville, Kentucky. The record that I'm pulling the track from is called Skag Heaven, which is their first and only long player. The opening track is a song called Kid Dynamite. Kid Dynamite. Kid Dynamite. Now, I did hear Squirrel Bait before, but I think, and this is the case with a lot of your selections, it was in documentaries and things when I would get into music documentaries, and this one was specific to slint and the kentucky scene and all of that that's where my knowledge of squirrel bait came from but it was cool to hear it in context and i'm actually excited to hear the rest of the record after hearing it but what can you tell 
these good people in podcast America about. And I have, I have a pretty good rock and roll memory, but I actually don't remember where I bought. I can actually remember where I bought records. And when right. we talk about these records, I'll tell about like where I actually bought them. I don't remember where I ended up picking this record up, or even why I bought it. I think I just bought it because it was a cover, it was a complete blind buy. I think mostly I bought it because it was on Homestead, and Homestead was one of those labels like SST and things like yeah. that that you could count on that was going to be some like quality rock and roll. Yep. So I just bought it and, it, and it just honestly blew my mind. Like I actually had bought the first EP first because that was on, I think that may have been on Homestead too, I can't remember. So yeah, that's why I bought this because right. I, I liked the first EP so much. What year was this? The first EP came out in 85. Skag Heaven came out in 1987. That's 87? 1987. Holy shit. Yeah. So for me... I don't know the musicianship from this band, like from early on, like when you listen, like we play the tracks for ourselves, like right. to each other before we record the podcast. Like the musicianship on this record is fucking amazing. The drummer is insane. Yeah. And anytime that somebody says to me, and I, I don't mean to, I don't want to take up any time talking about Greta Van Fleet, but anytime that anybody talks to me and they say, "Hey, Greta Van Fleet, man, they're gonna grow up and they're gonna get older and they're gonna work into their thing." I'm like, fuck that. There are so right. many great bands of kids, whether it be Death Angel or Metallica or Def Leppard. These guys were literally in high school when they recorded that first EP. Yeah. And yes, nothing is created in a vacuum. I understand that. Everyone has influences. But where Greta Van Fleet sounds so anachronistic and so unnecessary, what these guys and all those other bands do, they just put like a fresh twist on stuff that already exists. And that's why I appreciate these guys. Right. And then on top of that, too, um, this band splintered into like a bunch of like, again, indie rock royalty, like right. the Bitch Magnet, and Gastral Soul and Slint, and Peter Searcy went on to Big Wheel, and Star Billy. Their influences, it just ripples out for a right. very long time after those first couple of Squirrel Bait records. And they yeah. only did that EP, they did the full length, they did Skag Heaven. There was some demo stuff that they did before that, but it's amazing how much of a reach they've had. It's like pre-emo it's like yeah. pre-math rock it's pre-post-punk i mean all that yeah. i mean it's not pre-post-punk it's, post -punk, it's post -punk all, all of those yeah though. i mean post-punk obviously already existed but yeah. like before there was math rock before there was emo and you know that these guys were like a super influence on all those emo bands i mean it's they're a super great band and if you're unaware of them you kind of need them in your life i think right there's also um i'm going to keep bringing up youtube videos throughout this <laughs> Yeah, this episode but is in part brought to you by YouTube. YouTube, yeah, right. and, and unintentionally. But there's a great uh, live video of Afghan wigs from their first, when they got back together, first reunion tour from a few years ago with Peter Searcy, where they do Kid Dynamite. The video itself is kind of like, it doesn't sound great, but the fucking intensity is still there. And again, yeah. there's that whole, you know, Afghan wigs were from Cincinnati. Yeah. They're a bridge away. Mm -hmm. from Kentucky. Mm -hmm. So the, obviously that yeah, band that was an scene. influence on Afghan Wicks. It's a great fucking yeah, video. Yeah, River cut it. through that scene, but that's not too yeah. hard to bridge. So yeah, Kid Dynamite, Squirrel Bait, the record Skag Heaven. Yeah, you need that in your life. All right, so you're going to put that in a mix later I'm on the episode? that in the mix later in the episode. As yep. you always do. As we don't know do. the running order. That's but our thing. Yep. You're going to figure it out. I'm going to figure that shit out. What do you got, Dan? Uh, I'm going to get into the realm of the unknown. We're going to talk about like a dusty groove or a forgotten gem, a relatively rare release. I believe the group is High Mountain Hoedown. That's High H I G H, the word mountain, and then Hoedown, H O E D O W N. And the opening cut from their self titled debut released on Atlantic Records Atco imprint in 1970. This is a tune entitled My Thoughts. Me and you know this record because of. 
because of uh, you and our dear friend Cody, our friend our, Cody. Um, DJs, obviously. You are Lightning Licks Vinyl Preservation Society DJs, and every record store day, I don't know if it's everyone, but usually when the Kitsch has a record store day event, you guys will DJ that. It's just a fucking great time. I can go in. You guys probably just get all hopped up on coffee and cupcakes yeah, or cookies, and, cookies and play music, yeah. you know, and talk about music and just people watch, basically. Yeah. When I go in there, I like to sit by the decks and talk to you guys about what you're playing next. Kind of same thing. Maybe if I had something in mind for Record Store Day, I might try to pick that up. But I usually leave that to the lay people. You know, I don't need, like, if I see a Record <laughs> Store Day drop, like, if it's available and nobody else got it, I'll get it. But I don't want to take that away from somebody. I mean, unless it's a release that, and this hasn't it's happened. It's a must-have. Right. And that hasn't happened in the past few years. But this first drop of Record Store Day this year, I think it was in April, you guys were DJing. I went in kind of late. Things were wrapping up. And Cody plays a song or starts to cue up a song. He pulls out a record. I'm like, what is that, dude? And he's like, oh, it's just some record that I found here at the Kitsch when I was filling in for Jordo and Jess. You know, they went on vacation. Cody was entrusted with running the store. He picked it out of the crate. He played it. He loved it. He bought it. So he cues it up, uh, moves the crossfader over, lets her spin, lets her rip. And I was like, dude. I love this shit, man. It's great. It's just, it's totally my cup of tea. It's that 70s, not quite country, but, you know, singer-songwriter type stuff. The drums sound great. Everything sounds awesome. The harmonies are stupendous. The backing vocals are great. It's an awesome record. Yeah, and it's funny, too, because actually Cody brings a lot of the same, like, not the same stuff, but he'd actually brought that same record when we had done Record Store Day pre-COVID right and I actually was impressed enough to actually take a picture of it mm-hmm. on my phone so I could follow up on it to see to get it later and I never did yeah. so I love that you were like so like enamored with this track yeah and, ran, ran and you would already know it too. but like I, I but did the same thing him, you did but, but then I followed through, through exactly yeah. and I did not follow through yeah. as always so yeah it's a great track it really is it's right. very very yeah it's very cool and the whole record really I mean that's part of the deal about an opening track is it gonna hook you are you gonna listen to the whole thing is it gonna be representative of what's to follow and this one for the most part is the whole record is pretty good. The drums sound amazing on the whole record. The rhythm section is tight as hell. Yeah. You said you really appreciated that. Yeah, the songwriting is strong. It today, it's really good. Yeah. And those there's almost like kind of dusty. It, again, it, it feels like it has like a folk rock thing to it. Yeah. But the vocals are almost like a Beach Boys background vocals, which yep. is it's very clear, very nice, very cool background vocals on that too. You know, I'm a fan. What's the name I of the band again? Record. The name of the band is High Mountain Hoedown. So jump on the eBay and try to find that. Right, you that's need, where I found my you need copy. That in your life. That's yeah. where I found also my copy. Reasonably priced. Reasonably it was about uh, twelve bucks or something, uh, less than twenty, with the shipping. <laughs> I got it and I loved it. I did try yeah, to look for good. it locally, but I don't think it's available much. I mean, Cody's got the one copy that came into our, you know, jurisdiction. I've never he seen it before it. or since Cody right. had it. So yeah. So that would be High Mountain Hoedown with the track My Thoughts. Jay, what else are you gonna give us for your uh, opening track? Uh, my next one, I have it written down in my rock and roll notebook, my rock and roll binder. The rock and I'm roll binder. I'm gonna go. Boom, motherfucking up is yep, I'm gonna go in order. The next one is uh, a Nick Gilder track. The record is called Frequency, and mm-hmm. uh, the track that I'm gonna use is a song called You Really, which is in parentheses, Rock Me. Everyone knows Nick Gilder from the one hit. Everyone knows Hot Child in the City. Okay, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And he is one of those guys to me that, like, I'm not saying he's better than the one hit, because that one hit is pretty fucking great. No, it's, it's a, a great, great song. song. 
but he deserves more notoriety and more attention than he gets. Like he put out like four or five really solid kind of pop rock, glam rock kind of records in the 70s and early 80s. And um, I just feel like more people need to know who he is. Right. And he's much better than that one song that people know by him. So like if you're going through your going you're at a record store and you're going through the records and you come across some Nick Gilder, just buy that shit. Yeah. Just, just give buy it, a it. But it's from a, a record called Frequency and it really definitely has a it really is a kind of like a glam rock, pop yeah. rock kind of thing. It's really, really good. It almost and again it's like one of those things like we talked about this with another record that you played me earlier today where it could have been recorded today. It doesn't yeah. feel dated at all. And it's super right. It, it kind of reminds me of the band Sweet a little bit. A little bit, um, yeah. But yeah, again, it's like these super pristine background vocals, this super great catchy riffs from hell. It's a great freaking song. And the whole record is super good. Any of the Nick Gilder stuff is good. And what year was this come out? Uh, Frequency came out in 1979. So okay. Hot Child in the City came out in 78. All right. And just as a, as if, if that's something that interests you, too, he was also in a band, because he's British-Canadian, he was also in a band previously to when he went solo called Sweeney Todd. Here's this little trivia. When he left the band, a teenage Brian Adams took his place. You're kidding. Sweeney Todd. They, Sweeney Todd kind of had a semi-hit called Roxy Roller, uh-huh. which a lot of people don't know. I think it's probably more of a Canadian hit than an American hit. But like sure. If you saw the Runaways movie... Mm-hmm. You know, the mm-hmm. biopic, which actually I thought was okay. Actually, yeah. <laughs> Mr. I Hate Biopics was yeah, okay. Which, with was, which was okay. They kind of like spotlight that song too. But yeah, that, so it's just a little trivia that, yeah. That's awesome. Man. Yeah, it's a great song too. But again, all of the Nick Gilder stuff, it, it's very of its time, but it's also futuristic. There's a song on Frequency called Into the 80s, mm-hmm. which when you listen yeah. to, it seemed so, again, obviously futuristic. futuristic. But even still, like when you listen to it, though, it still feels that way. It doesn't feel dated, like sound-wise. It doesn't feel like it was recorded when it was recorded. It's right. pretty timeless sounding. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, what do you got? Well, um, uh, we're about to go on a journey, Jay, because I'm going to talk about an <laughs> album that changed the world. <laughs> Raising Hell by Run DMC, yeah. released on Profile in 1986, yeah. bringing hip-hop to the masses. To the masses. The song is pretty sweet. It's classic hip hop. They're doing this sort of mother goose, telling these fables and these tales uh, with hip hop references. But the beat is what I want to talk about because the beat for me is what hits me over the head when I put the needle onto this record. Put the needle on the record. Yeah. There's a Paul Simon record. It was his third record. It's There Goes Ryman Simon. All right. I think that was in 1973. Incidentally, the side A track one of that record is Kodachrome, which happens to be my favorite Paul Simon song, but that's neither here nor there. I would also put that as my... One of the top? Top three easy. Yeah, all easy. Day. It may it's be a, my favorite too, though. It's yeah. a killer track. Yeah, it really is. But track three or four, or whatever, I'm not sure where it lands in the track listings, is a song called Take Me to the Mardi Gras. Now, this is like a Dixieland. It's kind of vanilla. There's nothing really special about it, but the dude that plays the keys on that song is a dude by the name of Bob James. Bob James is a jazz pianist. He's also a producer and a composer and all the other things. When you're a jazz pianist, you're pretty much an every man's everything, every dude. I mean, and I know you're only laughing because I didn't say penis, Jay. <laughs> you fucking elementary loser. The penis and butthead moment. I swear, all these people these books, another jump on the street. I saw my penis lying on a blanket. 
next to a I said pianist. Like he plays the keys, right? So, it comes to the point where Bob James is going to have a solo record in 1975. This would be his third solo record, which for some reason is called Two, because he like started over. His second one was called One. Now his third one's called Two. So he's like, I need some tracks to fill this record out, man. What am I going to do? So what Bob James decides to do is to go back to his friend, Paul Simon, and hey, remember that song that we did? I played the keys for you. Welcome to the Mardi Gras. I'm going to record my own version of that, my own jazz fusion version of that song. And he does that. Now, this is the track, Bob James's version of that Paul Simon song that is sampled so flawlessly by Run DMC. And it became such a part of hip hop culture these bells in this beat and when they talk about it they would say like this is like our hell's bells track of you know raisin hell that's why we put it first it's just that bell line that you'll hear in this song is so important to hip-hop because it gets used all it's as sampled as the james brown funky drummer sample right i would say that those two like that funky drummer and the bells are probably like the two most like sampled songs ever and i want to say that even before run dmc used it didn't like ll cool j use it on the first record you know what i don't think so because uh Maybe they used elements but of that, but it wasn't the, the bells loop. on something. Yeah, rock the bells. But here's the weird thing: that's how important this sample is in hip hop history because they went back and Funk Master Flex like re-recorded "Rock the Bells" by LL Cool J using this beat. Okay. So what you heard, it is true that "Rock the Bells" does exist with this beat, but that wasn't how it was originally produced. Yeah. It was originally produced, Rick Rubin had some other 808 beats and okay. stuff like that. And right. There were some other generic bells that he used. But Funkmaster Flax remixed it with the instrumental yeah. of this song. So that's where that came from. There's so many other examples of how important this song was in hip-hop history, not just because the rest of the album, I mean, it had the My Adidas, it had the Walk This Way, obviously, which was huge getting hip-hop. Uh, but it is you know, tricky, and you beat Ellen. Yeah. And that, that, every single song is gold on right. that record. It's solid. DJ Jazzy Jeff, who we'll know from DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, that's not his only claim to fame, is getting thrown out of the mansion by Uncle Phil. <laughs> like, right, he is really legitimately, like, one of the best DJs in the world. And what he is best known for is the Peter Piper routine, where he takes and cuts up that instrumental for this song, Peter Piper, which was the first song on this record of Raisin Hell, so much to the point where other DJs will do that routine and will get notoriety for doing his version of that routine well. And basically, at the end of it, the biggest part of this routine is that he takes the sample, essentially, of Run DMC saying, God damn, that DJ made my day. He like cuts it up so it says, that goddamn DJ made my day. It's just a full circle thing where so many lines from this song get sampled in hip-hop history again, like, not bad meaning bad, but bad meaning good. You've heard that before, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, a ton of lines in this song are used in hip-hop even to this day, so it's just an important record. For me, it's a album opener that uh, is a force to be reckoned with. It's in the hip-hop DNA for sure, and I okay. and I have like a lot of the Run DMC stuff on vinyl, and I've kind of avoided that. I don't really play that record just because like, I never need to hear it's tricky or walk this way ever again. But um, when you would send me your list of stuff, I went back and I re-listened to it, and I just forgotten how badass 
that song is. Like right. it's really fucking tight. It's so good. And we were talking earlier too. I just got done reading this book called Love Goes to Buildings on Fire. It's like five years in New York that changed music from like 73 to like 78. So it covers like hip hop and it covers like CBGB. It covers loft jazz. It just covers like salsa. That whole, it covers the whole spectrum of New York music at that time. And they talk about that song specifically. And I had never heard, obviously I've heard that sample a million times. Yeah, It's been sampled so many times that it's just, again, it's just part of it. It's, it's just there. It's, the, it's in the hip hop lexicon at this yep. point. They talked about the Bob James. I didn't ever knew where it came from. And I remember like pulling that up on YouTube and it's so fun to hear that in its original context yeah. when you've heard it so many times like used other yeah. ways. So that was interesting too. And it just as an aside, if you love music at all, this love goes to buildings on fire. This book is amazing and you should probably try to find it. It's yeah. a great book. Look at that. So it's not only a podcast, it's also a book club. Look at us. <laughs> We're getting cultured. I would like to mention, too, and I didn't want to forget about this, that uh, we lost Bismarcky recently. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what a loss. He was sick for some time, and we knew it was going to happen. So, But it's a shame. Everybody loved that guy. Yeah. That guy is hip-hop. Um, he is rumored, and he is often said, and here's the deal with Bismarcky. A lot of times there's some tall tales that are involved. You never really know what's a grandiose story and what's actual fact, but he says that he is the sole owner of a 45 of Take Me to the Mardi Gras by Bob James that doesn't have the bells. The bells on. Everybody thinks he's full of shit. I guess now when they, you know, sift through his huge record collection to figure out how they're going to conserve this, or maybe he left it to somebody or whatever, maybe we'll finally get down to the bottom of it. But I think he's full of shit. Everybody thinks he's full of shit, but Biz, you know, obviously to his dying day, I mean, this isn't what he said on his deathbed. I'm sure he was more concerned with, you know, his family and stuff, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be some Geraldo Rivera Al yeah. Capone uh, that vault. Oh yeah, it's gonna be that. It's gonna be theirs and yeah. not gonna be there. <laughs> but he always said that he had it. He had a 45 of that song without the bells, like a different version. I feel like I could believe Bismarck. Well, I think that he believed himself. That's but fine. when you're a record collector that agree, that's like taking you and me and then multiplying us both. Ford level yeah. 40. I mean, he's got warehouses Some full Afro- of Africa yeah. Bambata shit. Yeah. He's got the only pair of Techniques 1200s that were specifically designed to scale to just play 45s. There you like, go. he owns those. I mean, that's the guy's awesome. insane. And I don't think that's a lie. He actually showed those on Facebook. But anyway. God love him. Yeah. God bless him. Rest in peace Rest to in the peace, diabolical. Godspeed. The booger picker. Dude's cool. Yeah. Yes, yeah, biz. Yeah. One, two. Oh, okay, I'm just. Bugging out. Bugging out. He's smiling somewhere. If I had no a f- if I had a forty, I'd be pulling it out on your carpet for biz. <laughs> right now, much to your woman's chagrin. Yeah, whatever. She don't care. She don't come down here. We'll she blame, knows what happens we'll down here. The dock. This is for the boys. <laughs> this is for the boys. We'll blame it on the dog. So that is Run DMC with Peter Piper. Jay, what do you got next for us? Complete opposite end of the spectrum. Of As course. we do. Yeah. The next one I have is a band called Die Kreuzen. Mm-hmm. They were a hardcore band initially out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. The song that I'm picking is from their second record, October File, and the song is called Man in the Trees. This is another one where I was familiar with them uh, from documentaries and things. I knew they were a hardcore band. I knew they were on Touch and Go. I maybe heard a sample of some of their stuff, but it wasn't anything like this song. So that was really refreshing to hear that. This shit's cool, man. Yeah, and for me, like again, this was a complete blind buy when I was a kid. It came out in... 86. 86. And I remember there used to be a record store in Midland called The Turntable. 
And again, it was a complete blind buy. I bought it just based on the cover and then went backwards. But they started out initially as a pretty just straight up hardcore band. And then from the first EP to the first full length, they went to Octoberphile. Uh-huh. And it's a complete sonic leap from that first record to this record. And just listening to it, like we were listening to it before. Again, we listened to these. We put them down so we can do yeah. the mix later. It's amazing to me, like the sonic leap that they made from hardcore to what they went to. I don't know how to explain how you get from point A to point B like they did on this record. They like evolved, yeah. I mean, yeah. like in real time, and when you're experiencing that, like but how the, do you do that? But there's all aspects of like grunge, and there's yeah. like aspects of shoegaze and yeah. post punk, and they're just mashing up all of this stuff together in a way that I had never heard before. And I remember it really blowing my mind at the time. And it's also cool, too, because Touch and Go, I think, was based out of Chicago. Corey Rusk was, like, the main guy. He produced this record, but it was actually recorded. And I don't know if this studio is still around or not. It was actually recorded at a place called Multitrack Studios in Detroit in October of 85. That's so cool. And I have to say, though, if you're not familiar with Dicroizen, I know at one point, too, they kind of had a thing going with, like, Voivod. So there's a certain kind of almost a metal edge that they got, too, when they moved forward, where they evolved into this October file, the sound that they got. And um, I don't know. It's just, like, they don't sound like anything. I was like, the singer Dan Kabinsky, his voice, like, I just have never heard another lead singer sing like that before. No, it's like an exaggerated Perry Farrell. It's, like, really... Yeah, like it's like throaty, an un- it's like an unhinged pro. Yeah. yeah, it's uh-huh. it's ridiculous. So like they made some more records of that kind of went that kept following kind of that sonic blueprint where they kind of stayed in that sonic blueprint for a while. But if you're not familiar with Die Croizen at all, again, just buy the early stuff too. The hardcore stuff is really good. And again, I'm gonna bring up YouTube one more time. YouTube. If you go back for it, go listen to October File, like see where they're at, and then go backwards. There's a really cool thing that they did. It's on YouTube where they did a. Um, a public access show yeah and they're in the studio playing kind of like this hardcore thing mm-hmm. it's just so funny to see that kind of music played on but it was great though because at the time they're just they're wearing like shitty jeans and they're wearing like flannels like way proto grunge yeah. shit like I mean, people in the Midwest wore flannel back in the day because they were fucking cold. Yeah. It wasn't a, that wasn't a fashion statement. Yeah. That's where it came from. Right. You know? So it's kind of cool to go back and, like, they all had short hair. Like, when you see the October file, there's a poster that comes with it, and they all have this, like, fucking teased out, like, yeah. long hair. And they look so cool. Yeah, yeah and it's mind, so cool. it's mind-blowing. And when you listen to it, I have to say that it's, it's freaking timeless. Again, it's another one of those records where you listen to it, and you don't know when it was recorded. Like, it doesn't have, like, any date on the recording right. when you listen to it. And I'm just going to throw one more other thing in about Dicroys, and if you do any digging at all, which you should, they also do a cover of Seasons of Wither by Aerosmith, which uh-huh. is my favorite Aerosmith song of all time. Okay. But their cover is fucking amazing. And I remember posting it on Facebook a couple of years ago just for the hell of it. And all of my like rock and roll friends were appalled. They fucking hated it they, like, oh my god what is this atrocity like they were so offended that it existed so for that reason alone you should go find that on youtube like right now yeah yeah that is sweet. so yeah dicroiza and october file man in the tree is the name of the song the track one side one that's awesome yeah what do you got yeah go I'm going to go with Pavement with their song Summer Babe in parentheses winter version and that of course was on their debut it was side one track one of the heralded slacker rock, indie as fuck, slanted and enchanted. As far as critics are concerned, it's this grandiose lo-fi masterpiece. I just dig it. I dig the song. I dig the feeling of it. And this is interesting, too, because we get to bring in a band that 
I love, a lot of people love, and I think Jay, you respect it, but you just never really hooked. It yet. didn't click with me though. But you have to love that that band like, inspired hundreds of other bands though. Right. And it's just one of those bands too that came out, and I really wanted to like we were talking about it earlier too. I remember buying the deluxe reissue of Slanted Enchanted with the extra CDs and all the B sides and all the flexi singles and all that stuff. And I tried really hard. You did. And I like tracks by them. You gave it them. a good. Yeah. You gave it a good. Effort. I like tracks by them, but for whatever reason, they just never hit with me. But I appreciate and respect the shit out of Malcolm and that band yeah. obviously yeah Malcolmus is awesome he's continued to be awesome I mean he's got uh, witty lyrics you know I don't think he's a terrible guitarist a lot of people say oh you know pavement sloppy or whatever but I think that was part of their deal they were part of noise band it's sometimes sauntery it's sometimes abrasive it's sometimes sloppy but it's always like delicious sloppy I'd compare it to gravy right yeah, yeah it's sloppy but dude it's good so I fucking love it but he's moved into some like not the jicks withstanding like his solo stuff post jicks yeah. he's also like I think of like Mary Timoney from Helium they're yeah. almost getting to prog rock territory he's a much better guitar player than people give him credit for right, right. Yeah. and his albums that he's been putting out you know lately have been more guitar based you know yeah what I mean? he's got totally like guys got this kind of Tom Verlaine thing going right so you know Matador Records too for me is one of those labels when I discovered Pavement then it seemed like everything on Matador was going to get and then you found a lot of really cool bands from that label yeah Matador and, was one of those labels you could trust and uh, my musical influencer John Talaga who actually worked at the Camelot I mean, that's what he was trying to get me to do I think when we were in school he'd got a job at Camelot after you had left yeah. and he wanted me to come in and buy a bunch of shit yeah. and this is one of the bands that specifically he told me about I still remember how that cassette smells dude like <laughs> that that whole, that like whole period that whole 1991-ish 92-ish period where I was buying these cassettes that he would recommend to me like man I just remember how they smell how they feel how they sounded how it made me feel how it made me think about music differently and I'm never gonna forget hearing this song for the first time I actually worked backwards I was uh, exposed to them during the time of Wowie Zowie, which I think was her third record, and then I went back to get the first two records. So, I don't know. Loved it. For, I mean, I don't know what else to say. Well, that was like kind of like the heyday of indie rock, college rock at yeah. that point, I think, to those years. Right on. So there is Pavement, one of my favorite Side A, track one, album openers. Jay, can you share with us one of your album openers? I can, and I will. You will. Uh, I'm going to go with something a little more mainstream on this one, and I'm going to go with a band that lots of people know. Yep. I like them because they're local boys, but lots of people know this band because they've had a couple pretty huge fucking hits, and that is The Romantics. My side one track one is from their sophomore record, which I could have easily used for our sophomore. Yeah, our Surviving our the Sophomore Swamp. Yep, I could have used it. National Breakout, and the song is called Tomboy. See, this is another one. The Romantics, obviously I know who they are. I know who they've influenced. I know that they have a history in rock and roll, but I've never really just sat down to listen to an album by them in its entirety. This one really set the hooks in since then I've listened to the whole record and I love it, man. Fucking great choice. Yeah, and I feel like even with the hits, like what I like about you and talking in your sleep, I still feel like the romantics are completely an underrated band. First, you know, they're from Detroit. Mm -hmm. In their first early issues, their singles were put out on Greg Shaw's Bomp label. So they're in the, the beginning of it, you know, before they signed to a major label. And no one needs to hear what I like about you. Nobody ever yeah. needs to hear that song ever again. No one does, even myself. When Jack White came out and there was, even before that, when Mick Collins doing from the Gories to the Dirt Bonds, when there was that whole like 
Detroit garage rock right. gold mine thing, the mm-hmm. White Stripes and the Sights and the Von Bondies and all these bands were doing the Paybacks and the Paybacks were probably even before even those other bands too. These guys were doing that garage rock thing well many, many, that. many years Way ahead before of that. Time. Detroit has always kind of had a thing for that like psychedelic garage rock right. kind of vibe too. And I don't feel like these guys get anywhere near enough credit for that. And at that time, there was there wasn't a lot of great music coming out of Detroit. I think right. at the time that they came out, I feel like they're they're a band that needs to be re looked at again. I yeah. feel like they need to be re listened to, and like I feel like people need to realize what an important band that was. That's and what a great band yeah. they were. I wonder if you could track sort of album sales like during that time, because I mean, obviously Motown left like a void for other genres of music. I'm wondering if like a lot of that garage rock stuff was just like selling really well in Detroit and it ended up being in these guys' parents' collections and that's how they got exposed to it because it seems like it really was and I know how scenes just kind of fucking take over but like the Seattle scene and then all these you know people with financial interests will just rate that scene for everything right. it's worth so a like lot every scene, yeah, yeah maybe they get more exposure but it does seem odd that Detroit is like really at the head of that that whole garage scene of the early 2000s late 90s and shit was just dominated by Detroit artists yeah and there's those certain weird pockets too like even Australia with like the lime spiders and the hoodoo gurus yeah. there's all these like weird pockets of like yeah. these places where garage rock just never yeah. went away and so, yeah, I just feel like the Romantics are a band that needs to be relooked at. Tomboy is also one of those records, too, and I think we all have these, whether you're a musician or whether you're not. I'm just a wannabe trying to be a musician. Yeah. But when I, every time I hear Tomboy, it's all, when I, when the very first time I hear that comic, I just want to start a, a cover band yeah. just to play that fucking song. I just want to <laughs> that learn rule. that song because I just want people to hear this song because most people don't know that song. Right. And so it, I just I love it. it. Just makes you want to start a band instantly too, which is what the best rock and roll does. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. What do you got? What's next? So I'm gonna go to DC natives Fugazi with their song "Waiting Room," that was the first track on their first long player, but also their first EP. I think their EP was called Seven Songs. You know, the long player is called Thirteen Songs. Whatever you get, how that Very works. Clever, yeah. But it was track one, side one of that, and man, that was a game changer. Yeah, and that's fucking classic. I mean, that's right up there with any yeah. side one, track one ever. Yeah. And when you're talking about any of them, that's right up there. For me, as a game changer. Yeah, my friend Larry was into him because his brother Tommy was into him, because his brother Tommy's friends were probably into him. And it really, like, you know that a song or a band or just a genre is good when it really literally inspires kids in your area to start bands and that's exactly what happened and i'm sure it happened all over the place yeah. these guys were diy kings ian mckay and his friends you know coming from minor threat they were youngsters they knew how to like manage a tour like with no resources whatsoever you got to appreciate whether you think it's hoity-toity or putting your nose up to shit i mean there is no t-shirts that they were selling shows were always five bucks Records were always 15 bucks. I mean, they just stuck to their guns. I mean, to this day, that's the way Discord is. It's just an amazing sort of scene that they were able to, some kind of fucked up Johnny Appleseed where they're just (laughs) spreading their seeds all over the place and then little scenes would grow from those. Think of those bands like Black Flag where they just just got in the van and they just grunted it out. Yeah, and they knew each other. They all knew each other. All these bands who did this DIY thing all knew each other and there was a network of, yeah, network of like places to play and, and houses to crash at. 
that and yeah it's the song itself's got one of the catchiest bass lines ever it's kind of like a sing-along you could see how it goes well on every show it's like they could never regardless of the state of the pa or the room or wherever they you know they're playing in the basement or a fucking house party whatever the case may be that song you just know that it would rule and like, it's it, impossible not to and we were talking about it when we were listening to it too i still believe like it had come out in the 90s when all the pop punk was coming out right. green day and like if that song had come out like at that time it would have been a fucking huge hit because it's catchy as shit yeah this came out so i mean it was probably written or came out on the ep maybe 89 this album came out in the early 90s so you can say that they were just a little bit too soon on all that shit right yeah the frontrunners man yeah that's the price you pay when you're the first to do things i guess you don't get all the uh, the fame but the that's not what they're in the money and the it's not the what they're glory. after yeah, absolutely not yeah but, i mean they really established dc as like this powerhouse of post-punk hardcore music so DC isn't just go-go. It's also Fugazi and shit, right? Like oh my God, yeah, bad brains. I mean, there's LA hardcore, there's San Francisco hardcore, there's New York hardcore, and there's fucking DC hardcore. That's right. completely their their own their own universe. And Mackay was a, a huge part of creating that, right. obviously. And he's kind of a dick. Or, I mean, you know, whatever, but he's just also a wealth of knowledge. He's just like, you know, he just keeps the history alive. Like, he just keeps things. He's got every poster ever. He's got archives. And arch- without him in this, like, some of this music may have died or maybe been harder to find. But now because of him and because of people like him, like, there are so many people that sort of do things like Ian McKay now or that did things because of Ian McKay that, like, it's just, it's better for everybody involved. Again, it's, he laid down the groundwork. It's a blueprint for everybody else that everybody else has followed. Not to keep bringing up the blueprint thing, yeah. but it, it really is at this point. Like, right, and power to unite, like, the losers and boozers with all the angsty straight-edge kids. Like, there's not many other people that can bridge that gap. Right. You know what I mean? Because that's basically what they did. I mean, they're straight-edge fucking hardcore and there's you know just hardcore where it's getting all fucked i mean they kind of yeah. like split the line between the both of them yeah. i know fans on either side like just amazing band fugazi that is the song waiting room off of 13 songs their first long player i'm just throwing things i like how you threw your list down. Like, my i'm done it's like you drop the mic the you're just last one it's fugazi bitch i don't even think it's what my last got? one what I do just, you got i got excited <laughs> You want to reference your rock and roll binder that you got so pleasantly? Here's me throwing loose leaf pieces of paper around the room like I'm fanning them out. Jay's all set up with his rock and roll binder. Yeah, my rock and roll binder. My last one, the band The Plasmatics. Yeah. The record is called Coup d'etat, and the song that I'm picking as my track one side one is a track called charmingly enough put your love in me put your love in me (laughs) whether you did it on purpose or not and it's like this is no this is you like exposing to me all the music from bands that i knew pretty much existed but never really dove deep into and then you're hooking me in with these album openers and getting me to dive deeper you did the job man is that (laughs) I don't know if that's what you set out to do, but that's the. I knew who the Plasmatics were. I remember the images more than I remember the music. We're talking about sledgehammers and TVs. We're talking about, you know, uh, whipped cream on boobs. Yeah. And uh, boobs. the lead singer, yeah, Wendell Williams. She would wear the um, clothespins. The clothespins on her nipples. The high Priestess of Heavy Metal. I, I picked this kind of for a reason. Like, I had an ulterior motive for this, too. Like, I feel like sometimes, like you were talking earlier. Like a side one track one should kind of be like a sonic statement of intent. Yeah. And I think that this Put Your Love In Me from Coup d'etat was that. Mm-hmm. Because up until that point, they had been on stiff records. They were a punk rock band. I'm putting air quotes around punk rock band. Right. And yes, they were known for the visuals, blowing up the cars, chainsawing the guitars, the guitar, all yeah. that stuff. They were a very almost like a punk rock version of Kiss. And, there, and there's nothing wrong with that. Rod Swenson 
was kind of her Svengali, mm-hmm. was all about the image, and he got it. He understood what sold records. Those first couple records were flat out punk. Yeah. But this is when, at this point, they're like, okay, they did this EP called High Priestess EP, and at that point, they just did this about faith from punk to metal. Right. And this was before this was a thing, because a lot of like skate punk, we talked about this before too, a lot of skate punk bands, like be it Corsican Conformity, Suicidal Tennessees, Suicidal Tennessees, they all kind of went metal. These guys yeah. did it like in 82. Mm-hmm. And they just decided like, hey, we're going to work with Dieter Dirks in Germany and West Germany, who was most well known for producing the Scorpions. Yeah. Again, it's one of those things like it's the difference between the cult's love yeah. to electric. Okay. It was that kind of a leap where it's like, what the fuck is this? It's like this. They went from doing this kind of like pseudo goth rock to doing this straight up ACDC kind of basic rock thing. And that's what the Plasmatics did. Again, way before that, they went from punk rock, like, we're going to do metal now. Yeah. But this is it. And so when you hear Put Your Love in Me, again, with the whole, you can use a phrase, the sonic statement of intent, like, this is what we are now. Right. And it's this fucking heavy metal, hard rock song. And it just it comes in hard, and like this is who we are. Now. This is who the Plasmatics are now. Right. And I just remember being a kid and buying that when it first came out. When I was a kid, I was 82, so it was the year I graduated, and just being completely blown away, not expecting that at all from this band. And I'm sure that probably turned a lot of their original fans off, more of their punk fans off. But for me, I was like, it felt real and it felt natural to what they were doing. Like, and it's a fucking great song and then they kind of stayed on that path from going on and then she did her solo stuff too which also stayed more of in a metal vein like gene simmons produced her first record so there was like guys from kiss played on her first solo record and stuff too but they realized that yeah because he wanted plasmax to tour with kiss i'm not sure if they ever did or not but he was a huge part like he produced like her first solo record so like ace fraley plays on it and there's all sorts of like rock guys that play it so they kind of stayed in that metal mode but it was just such an about face it was so dramatic, but it worked though. It didn't feel fake. It didn't feel like they were trying to make any. It wasn't like like a money grabbing thing. Right. It, like it felt like a natural progression. Like it mm-hmm. really worked. Yeah. You can argue with people, but I'm not a big metal guy. Mm-hmm. I don't really have a lot of, to add to the conversation. But like I feel like this is probably got to be like one of the best metal records ever made by anybody ever. That's amazing. Yeah. And I find the Wendell Williams like even on the first record, the punk records, I found her like vocals kind of shrill. But on this record, when she started doing the metal stuff, she started getting that scream down. Like right. I was, I heard like I was reading some stuff too about how she just shredded her voice when she recorded Cootie Ta. Well, it makes sense. Yeah, and so they changed the rhythm section, but it's still like West Beach and Richie Stotts, the original guitar players. Just they just made this move to metal, and it's such a great record too. Like I can't say enough great things about how amazing it is. Like I said, I always knew Wendy Williams. Like you see her in the Mohawks, you see her with the electric tape over the nipples, you see her. You know, doing all these sexy things with a chainsaw, you know, and sledgehammers and and everything else, and all that shit. Of course, she got in trouble because it's the early '80s, and like if you mimicked masturbating, which I'm doing, I mean, you could get in trouble with that if you did. Yeah, I mean, cop beat her up in Milwaukee. They took her outside and they threw her on the cement and they beat the shit out of her. And they showed there's a if you again, I'm gonna go back to YouTube one more time, (laughs) but there is a clip where she was on Tom Snyder's Tomorrow Show where she still has a black eye. It happened like right after. Mm-hmm. She got beat up by the Milwaukee police, and she still has a shiner. She still looks like she's been beat to shit. I don't know how many days after the fact it was. Right. 
But yeah, I mean, she put her body out there. She was definitely metal, and there's something to be said about being and punk. In, yeah, and punk, an independent woman or whatever. And I mean, you're thinking about uh, what we realize now as feminism. Maybe back then, you'd say, oh, she's just some vaudeville actress. She's just some glorified stripper. But you know what? No, she really wanted to get what she was doing. I mean, that's kind of expression. That's kind of art. It's kind of everything there is. And to have it sonically like rise to the level of the theatrics, which yeah. is basically what happened when they went from punk to metal. I couldn't believe that this was the band, right? Yeah. Because all I knew was, like I said, the visuals. I had something set in my mind what that was going to sound like. Yeah, and I think a lot and of people see those that? visuals and they don't think the music is there. No, it and is. And you think about that and the music is, even when there were punk stuff, it was there too, but it's it just it just upped the ante for me when they started doing the metal thing too. She's almost like the Lenny Bruce of female punk rock for me. What for a, my money. What a great choice, man. Thanks yeah. for bringing that to the table. Yeah. Do you have another one? I have one more. What do you got? Uh, last but certainly not least, I've got Teenage Fan Club oh. uh, from their 1991 Manwagen esque record. The side one, track one of that record, the concept, man, it's probably my favorite of all time. I'm wiping away a tear right now. I'm talking about that. Yeah, and I think that's how much it means to me. And this is going to be a cool one because I can start to talk about them, like how I know them, but you are going to be, I mean, because you've been a super fan. Right, I came yeah. to the game a little bit late. I knew who they were. They had a single actually off of that record that I thought was really cool, and I knew mostly for that, and also that they sort of collaborated with De La Soul on the Judgment Night soundtrack with my favorite song off of that record. They're like traveling, just like two good songs about that one, and it's that one. That's one of them. Yeah. <laughs> But obviously, I'm going to dig that song. I'm going to dig uh, their singles or whatever. And I didn't know necessarily, and I'm sure I heard this song maybe in passing, but it didn't really register. About five years ago, Death Cab for Cuties' uh, Benjamin Gibber covered this song. Yeah. And there was a little like animated video for it. And I'm like, man, this song rules. And of course, you know, oh, it's a cover of this song off of this record. I'm like, I got to check that out. Yeah. So I did. And I was like, whoa. This is five years ago. They, I mean, it's been around for 20 years, and I'm finally really getting into it. And then it was my mission to get that on vinyl so I could share it with people when I DJed or whatever. It's very rare. It's probably one of the most expensive pieces of vinyl I own, but it was totally worth it. I capped myself. I didn't get crazy. I probably found somebody who was desperate to sell. Because when we really look at this, I mean, we could value our collections at anything we want to, and anybody could. Any of these record collectors can say, oh, I've got fucking 25000 or whatever worth of vinyl, but it's only worth what some sucker's going to pay, right? Exactly. So, I mean, that's been depreciating ever since I've had it. And every time a player, probably more so, but I don't care. Like, this is the one that I needed. I needed this record. It's a great record, front to back. And this song in particular, the concept, and I say this a lot, and I wish... I could describe things in another way because oftentimes when I'm like editing this, I'm like, oh, you said it again, you dipshit. Why do you say that? But it blew me away, Jay. It blew my mind. Like this song fucking blows my mind. It's so cool. so anthemic. Everything about it is wonderful. This record kicks ass. And I want to know what you say about it because I know you got something to say about what, it. What year did that come out? 1991, bud. Okay, so yeah, I felt the same way that you did. I, I, I was aware of them. All the critics loved the Catholic Education, which was initially on Matador. Matador, right. And they went to DC. That was more noise pop yeah that was more yeah noisy. yeah and they went to dgc and i remember i was working at a record store and i remember getting a cassette promo copy of uh-huh. bandwagon ask and i felt the exact same way you did that line she wears denim wherever she goes she's gonna buy some records by the status quo is one of my favorite opening <laughs> lines of any record ever yeah. And I was a big star fan. Uh-huh. I'm a Neil Young Crazy Horse fan. And the fact that they were able to capture like big star and Neil Young 
and that whole indie thing, like that's a perfect record to me. Like, right. That's like one of those records. Like I think when I get to heaven, that will be playing on heaven's PA when I get there. <laughs> that, that's how much it meant. And I love the fact too. There's always the controversy that Spin called that the record of the year, which is also the same year that fucking Nevermind yeah. by Nirvana came out. But you know what? I'll still take Bandwagon-esque over Nevermind. And not to be contrarian, because I love Nirvana, yeah. but I will still take Bandwagon-esque over that all day fucking long. Yeah. I mean, it's a total record. I mean, the, the hits, we were just going through the track listing when you were holding the album. You're like, yep, this, this, oh, this, this, this. Yeah, Star Every song is killer. All Star songs. Sign. That's the initial song that got me interested. But I mean, come on. And dude. not to go back to the Gibber thing, because he does a really cool version of Guided by Voices, Tractor Rate Chain. Uh-huh. But he loves a teenage fan club enough that he actually re-recorded the whole record. I don't know if you knew right. that. Yeah, it's it's very cool. Like It's an important record. Yeah. It really is. It's a, and it's probably one of the greatest records ever made. I think you're right, man. Creation actually did a box set um, a few years ago where they reissued everything from Bandwagon S, I think like five records out, and it all came with the 45s, the 7 inches of the 45s, the singles, and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, it came yeah, with yeah. all that, too. So I came across it. I paid away a lot of money for it, but I mm-hmm. love that you have like an OG like Creation Mm-hmm. copy of that version yeah. of that too I have a reissue my lucky son will be bequeathed that one day and he'll be like what is this I don't care you know, kind of, kind of but I mean this? that iconic album cover, you know, the pink background with the yellow money bag on it, you know, yeah, that they actually got sued for. By Gene Simmons, right? because he had a record label that had like a money bag too, and he thought yeah. he owned that image, and he's so fucking ridiculous. Yeah, that's about. like trademarking the word the, you fucking dick, but of course <laughs> yeah. he could get away with it, right? I don't think he won, though. I think he I lost. think they sent, I Did read in Wikipedia that they sent him a check. Oh, okay, probably. But that, I mean, that came from that's a source funny. from across the pond because check was spelled with the Q, yeah. so I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Like, we'll so, see. So it's in Canadian. <laughs> but, and they're but, still going strong. I love that, too. I mean, yeah. I didn't want to get too far into what they're doing nowadays, but the album that they've released this year might make my top 11 of the year. I fucking love it. I know yeah. Gerard Love left, but yeah. everybody else is intact. And they're just still making hits, man. Yeah, they're just doing what they do. And they do what they do well. You know, yeah. they're a good band. They're consistently great. They play great rock and roll. And I don't mean to diminish what they do. It is what they do now is almost adult contemporary. It is like power pop. Yeah. But there's nothing wrong with that. No. I mean, they're not kids anymore either. They're just right. they're just been like this factory of just they're just putting out all like, these great songs, these great pop songs. I'm getting Always. more and more respect for legacy acts now that the bands that we loved because we're so fucking old now are actually legacy acts you know so you wonder like where's the bar set and i think a lot of the bands that we've talked about on lightning Links radio kind of like surpassed that bar yeah because we're talking about oh you could talk about the stones or the whatever well fuck dude listen to the pearl jams listen to the teenage fan clubs listen to the bands that would be considered the guided by voices these are legacy bands of our age and they continue to put out stuff that's relevant yeah to the soundscape of the time frame that we actually live our reality in. That's pretty special. Yeah, and they might not sell a ton of records, but no. they do get a ton of respect. Mm-hmm. Like people, yeah, respect what they do and where they've come from and that they're out there still doing it. Right. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. What else are they going to do? Yeah. yeah. And they're going to tour their new record and it's going to be, it's not going to be. I know the Stones are going to be coming to Detroit, um, <laughs> and I was like, I can't believe that's happening. But, you know, there is no fucking... I've already spent more than $100 25 years ago on the last chance to see the Stones. Uh, you know, you're not going to get me. That's a rich person's game now. You know, but I think about that, and I think about, like, Love left the band because of the rigorous touring schedule. They still want to play yeah. their music. That drive, and it wasn't 
amicable separation. I mean, they're like, oh, that's cool. We can just still do it or whatever. But I think it's really cool that that drive to tour, and I don't think it's just to make money. These guys are fucking set, right? It's because they want to share their fucking sound. Well, they make money. I've never, I've never, I've always had an issue with people ragging on bands like the Stones who continue to tour. Old blues guys tour until they die. Right. You know, jazz guys tour until they fucking die. Yeah. You make and play music because you're a goddamn musician. Mm-hmm. You're a singer. You're a songwriter. That's what you do. What are they going to do? Become a greeter at Walmart? Like, why you wouldn't they fishing? just exactly? Why wouldn't they just like if that's what <laughs> that's what they do? Why wouldn't Teenage Fan Club or a band like Mud Honey or whatever? Why would they still not go out and just play their shit to people who want to hear them and see them? Right. It doesn't make any sense. And to me, potentially, like, I mean, if you get a spot on a festival or whatever, you know how them things are getting lined up. I mean, you got two hundred fucking bands. Like, yeah, you could legitimately have a new audience there, yeah. ready to take on your shit, yeah, and dive deep in it or whatever. Especially streaming days, it's not. A, I mean, you're going to get a percentage of a penny every time somebody presses play on a concept. But I can guarantee you this: if they do hear that song, they're not going to skip it. That skip rate on that album's got to be zero because ain't nobody in their fucking right mind ever skipped that fucking song. No, and that's what it's all about with yeah. album openers, right? Yeah, you're locked yeah. in. Yeah, locked they're in. drawing you in. They're sucking you in. It's like here's here's what we got for you. Throwing down the gauntlet. <laughs> God damn it. Throwing the paper again. God damn it. Put the needle down. You're in for the fucking ride. (laughs) Blocking in that groove, baby. So, you are going to have a difficult... Well, you're not probably... You're going to enjoy this, I think. But you're going to take a bunch of track one side ones, and you're going to find a way to put that over two sides of a 10-song mixtape. Are you ready for that challenge? Yeah, it's going to be the strongest mix ever, because they're all track one side ones. (laughs) Fuck yeah, man. Every one of them deserves, like, big marquee, like, star treatment. And, yeah, we got to... Somehow you got to whittle it down to, like... I don't know. It's all gold all the way. It's going to be fucking awesome. Two sides of gold. Yeah. All right. So we're going to let you listen to that mixtape that Jay comes up with, and then we're going to be back after that. Let's do this. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm going to do it. Woo! Bam!
shiny words Where on the protein delta strip In an abandoned house But I will wait there I'll be waiting forever I'm waiting, 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 waiting
Peter, Piper, Pig, Peppers, but Run Rock, Ron, Humpty, Dumpty, Fell, Down, That's His Heart, Tom, Jackie, Nimble, What, Nimble, And He Was Quick, But Jam, Mass Mud, Faster, Jacks, or Jay's Dick. Met a little Bo B. Cole, lost her sheep, and Rip Van Winkle fell a hell asleep. And out of chillin' summer in Wonderland, Jack Sermon Jill bucket in his hand. And damn, at the stage, making out that sound, the turntables might wobble, but they don't fall down. Always is. You're the boy. 
Dude, you did it. Somehow you did it. I got your mix. I got your mix, yo. Yeah. You know, if I can't really rely on anybody for anything, I can rely on Kenny Chesney <laughs> creating delicious alcohol and terrible songs, and I can rely terrible on my co-host, Jay Glish, putting together a mix that's going to knock your shock out. It makes me feel like a kid again. Yeah. Man, this is like fucking a kid great. I'm trying to woo you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't really know what we're going to do again for the next one. We're going to get together sooner than we did for this one. Summer eh. summer's tough cuz people are busy mm-hmm. and stuff. We're, yeah. We got shit going on. Yep. But uh we'll we'll definitely get the next episode sooner than later than it took us to get this one out from the last one. Yeah. And then we're going to obviously have another supplementary episode yep, that's after coming up that, too. and yep. then another one and Which then I'm also excited about. Yep. Yeah, that's going to be great. We're yep. going to find out what our friends are listening to. We're going to find out what each other have been obsessing over. It's just a great time for everybody involved. It's a musical orgy. It is. Sonic orgy. Yep. <laughs> It's very, it's very dirty. It's it's not though. No, it's not. It's not. It's PG thirteen, baby. PG thirteen. It's as dirty as you want to be. It's as nasty as you want to be. Nasty as you want to be. (laughs) So uh, continue to comment if you could. If you could leave us a review, or even if if you you know the most important thing, we don't want to badger you about the uh, all the digital things you can do to make our lives easier. Basically, the whole scheme of things, we don't have anything to sell except our beaming personalities, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And our justification for our hordes of records that we collect, you know, we're doing something <laughs> with that, so that it feels pretty good. But we want to get people involved in discussing what music does for them because right now, or really anytime ever, Right, it's a good time to realize that music is always there first, no matter what happens. Yeah, outside. for sure. And if this is something that you enjoy, God love you, first of all. Yeah. And secondly, tell a friend. Yeah, we you know, appreciate. We, tell we definitely appreciate that. Tell at least a friend. Go, hey, got these guys. They love music. You might like their podcast. You might like and it. We appreciate that too, for sure. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you get the chance, and you're in beautiful Bay City anytime soon, you might want to stop by Electric Kitsch, <laughs> Electric Kitsch. which is our temple basically it's our record store of choice on kosciusko in the south end of bay city michigan love it that's our mothership yeah like good luck spelling kosciusko kosciusko i mean that must be somebody who had some kind of historical relevance well there was a general kosciusko general kosciusko general yeah which i only know from like a midnight oil song oh really yeah i don't really know much more than that but (laughs) I know that I believe it's a Polish general of some sort. Yeah. I should know more. I've come embarrassed. I don't know more about Bay City history than I, I should know who General Kosciuszko is, but I don't. Yeah. Well, That's why we just call it 22nd either. Street. Yeah. Or Young's Dead. <laughs> yes. It's a road that has like six different names. Yeah. That's uh, Welcome to Bay City. Yeah. 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 So check them out. They've got a new store. It's fucking wonderful. And uh, tell them we sent you. That'll give them, that'll tickle them a little bit. A little bit. And, uh, and other than that, we're just going to be, are we just done? I mean, do you have anything else you want to say? No, let's just quietly back out of the back room. Back out of the room. We're going to back out of the room quietly, dramatically. Like and we're just going <laughs> to, like the gif of we're Homer just, getting back into the bushes. We're just waiting, gonna, waiting for that. I was waiting for that. I'm going to I'm getting back. Sonic contributors to episode 17 of Lightning Licks Radio are as follows. Lee Moses, Brothers Johnson, Holland Dozier Holland, James Todd Smith, The Circle, Jay Dilla, A Tribe Called Quest, Bruce Springsteen, The Stone Roses, Sammy Hagar, Marcy Yates and Exo Boy, Cheap Trick, Beastie Boys, Queen, Squirrel Bait, High Mountain Hoedown, Nick Glider, Sweeney Todd, Brian Adams, Run DMC, Paul Simon, Bob James, LL Cool J, Rick Rubin, Funkmaster Flex, 
Clyde Stubblefield, DJ Jazzy Jeff, Bismarcky, Bill Withers, Di Crozen, Aerosmith, Pavement, Stephen Melkmus, The Romantics, Fugazi, The Plasmatics, Teenage Fan Club, Benjamin Gibbard, De La Soul, Isaac Hayes, Burt Bacharach, Hal David, DJ Premier, Gangstar, and The Clockers. We will be back with a bonus episode in a few weeks or so, and then after that, it's anybody's guess. We are extremely unreliable, but you already know that. See you soon. Like Mr. Jazz, punk, rock, disco, gold, garage, psych, dub, and acoustic funk. And do you request like, nah, man, I think I left that LP at home. It's on the shelf in my basement. That's where it belongs. Sorry, y'all. Now, don't get me wrong. I really do appreciate your input, but I don't really need your stinking input. Nah, B, I'm just playing, just trying to play too. The rule is what I'm saying. Why waste your time on a top 40 hit list when you can prep platters like a catering business? So fresh, I'm high five on my deck. Maybe we collaborate and jump it. That's teamwork, baby. Cue up an old B-side treat with the guts so deep to make your ear holes bleed. Dusty groups and forgotten gems. Sample sources from way back when. You're like, hmm, that sounds familiar. Well, it's Osley Bros. That Biggie Cuba done bud is still ill and it still kills. It's a bona fide hope for that for a last to do. Digging in the bins at electric pitch. We are living the hits for the past.